of our series about surrendering all we have, all we are to the Lord as we try to follow him and become better disciples. And through that, being able to teach others how to become disciples as well. Today, we're going to get into the subject of devotion. I want to start with sort of this idea. We're going to come back to it, I think, at the end. But devotion, love and devotion. Uh, We tend to be, humans tend to be uh, pretty self-focused, right? We have this need to justify ourselves, this need to prove ourselves, this need to establish our own identity. And so a lot of things in our world become not about what is happening outside of me. It becomes about what's happening inside of me. How, how do I get what I need out of this? So many things that happen, we look at in context of, well, how does that affect me? How, how, is that, how does that change my life? How is that going to inconvenience me sometimes is how we look at things. But when we're talking about love and devotion, if we're talking about real love, the kind of love that Jesus exemplifies for us, well, that is very counter to the way that we have been taught in you know, recent decades to think about love. Jesus' love was self sacrificial. Jesus loved so much that he gave his life. He gave his life so that we could be one with the Father. Not thinking like, well, what am I going to get out of this? But thinking instead, I need to lay myself down because they need to be connected with God. I'm good with God, but they need that. So I'm going to lay myself down so that they can have it. It's that kind of love that should be fueling how we think about devotion. Uh, So with love and devotion, we've kind of distilled them down to be expressions of kind of how we feel or kind of the mood that we're in. But really, love and devotion should be expressions of our commitments and our convictions, the things that we're committed to. We express love and devotion to, the things that we're convicted about the things that are really important to us. We express how important they are to us by devotion, by acts of love, by self-sacrifice, right? We're in kind of, a, kind of a me culture, but we have to contrast the way that we typically want to view things with what Scripture says about how we should be expressing love and devotion. So we're gonna take a look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is what Paul says about God's promises. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. And it's not just Paul talking about it. We see Jesus living this out in the book of John. John 12, 27 and 28, Jesus says, what should I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this time of suffering? No, I came to this time so that I could suffer. Father, do what will bring you glory. I don't know why that's making me cry this morning. I guess it's probably good. Father, do what will bring you glory. That is an expression of love. That's an expression of devotion. You know, sometimes I I limit my expressions of love and devotion to, I'm not going to do that today because the Longhorns are playing. And I love them, so I'm going to sacrifice mowing the lawn so that I can watch 
the long, because they've earned it. They deserve it. They deserve my devotion. But Jesus is wanting, wanting to save those expressions for things that will bring the Father glory. We see this later, as, uh, later on as well, just shortly before his arrest when he's praying in the garden. Matthew 26, 39. He says, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus' love and devotion was an expression, not of how he felt, but it was an expression of what he was committed to. An expression not of his mood, because you can see there clearly in Matthew 26, he's not feeling this tomorrow. He's not feeling what he's got to go through. He's not looking forward to it from a natural perspective. And he's asking, Is there, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me. Nevertheless, coming back to commitment, your will be done. Your will be done. Regardless of how I feel about what I've committed to, God, I've committed to it, and so I will follow through. And that is really what love and devotion is about. Jesus came to fulfill the promise of the Father. He came to fulfill the promises of the Father and even like at this moment of like his greatest need, his greatest greatest temptation to back off, he instead stays to what he committed to do. All of the promises of the Father are yes in Christ. All of the promises that God has made to us are yes in Christ and Jesus fulfilled that promise. Devotion is doing what you promised after the mood that you promised it in has left you. Devotion is doing what you promised after the mood that you promised it in has left you. Devotion isn't an issue of circumstance. It's not, I'm going to be devoted until it gets inconvenient. I'm going to be devoted up until it becomes kind of problematic for me. I'm going to be devoted until I see the bank account drain. That's not devotion. Devotion is, Lord, I promised this, and I'm going to stick to it, regardless of whatever else happens. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust that when we commit things to him, he honors it and he makes sure that we don't fall, right? It's what Harmony was speaking about this morning. I'd, I'd love for you to lead the creed. And in her head, she's thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that doesn't sound good for me. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it, the offer. Um, but she prays and she feels like the Lord is saying, yeah, but I want you to. And so she says, oh, okay, well, then I guess not what I want, but Lord, if you want, then I will. And thank you. It's a beautiful moment you let us in. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much. So devotion isn't an issue of circumstance. It's not an expression of our moods or thoughts. It's an attitude and a posture of the heart, right? My, My pastor for so many years, Bill Hart, is with us this morning. And if there's one thing that you got out of attending Bill Hart Church and listening to him speak the word, it's this. The attitude of the heart is everything. Everything in our walk comes down to the heart. Everything comes down to the heart. And devotion is no different. The devotion of Jesus was a posture of his heart. His heart was so given over to his father that he was willing to follow through even to the point of death, right? And as disciples, devotion is the posture of our heart as well. It helps to remember that it's not just in Jesus that we see it. We see devotion all through Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. Uh, We're going to read 
what uh, King David had said to Solomon on the subject of being the king of Israel. In 1 Chronicles 28, 9, he says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. We've got to remember that David knew what he was talking about. This is the guy who God said, that's a man after my own heart. Even when he was problematic, even when he strayed away, his actions may have not been in line with what his heart wanted to do, but his heart always turned him back around to seek the Father again. His heart always turned him back around to say, I have made a mistake. I know the way that I should go, and God, I'm recommitting my life to you. And so as we're talking about devotion, I think it's important to make a side note, side note here that we're talking about commitment. God honors commitment, but we may be going through this message this morning. You might, I'll, I'm going to bring up, up a couple things today, and you might think, oh, yeah, that's an area that I probably need to commit again to the Lord. And I just want to say, God honors commitment. I believe God loves recommitment. He loves recommitment because his heart is to reach out and to draw his kids closer to him. And as, if, if you're a parent and you've had a kid who is kind of going a little bit astray, your whole heart tugs for them. Say, come back. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. I was, uh, I was sharing. I was upstairs getting ready for the message this morning. Worship was going on down here. And I shared at the Team One Huddle this morning that the Lord just spoke um, and it was, I, I didn't know what it meant at the moment, but he just, I was reading through message and he just spoke. He said, it's time to return. It's time to return. And that's what we're talking about this morning. If you've, and if you've had a kid who's kind of straying a little bit, everything in your heart is reaching out for them. Every, every prayer that you have is for them to be awakened to the way that God has for them and for that path to be opened up for them so they can step on it and you know that they are taken care of. And everything in God wants for us to be reconnected with him. So if there's something this morning that's tugging at your heart and you're thinking, I need to give that over to God, I just wanna say, that look at where you're standing now. Don't, don't, make, don't miss this moment to be able to recommit. God, is, his arms are open. His eyes are open wide. He's looking at you and he's saying, yes, Come back. Return. It's time to return. It's time to return. Wow. So as disciples of Jesus, when we're devoted to something, when we're, uh, when we're dedicated to something, it means a few things, or it should. It should mean we're faithful, we're dedicated, we're fervent, right? We're, we're single-minded and purposeful. We're loyal, and that means that as disciples of Jesus, we're not just that way about the stuff that we like. We're that way also about the stuff that he shares with us that is challenging. Because if you walk with the Lord any length of time, five minutes is probably enough. You walk with the Lord five minutes, there's going to be something that is going to challenge you. And there's a purpose in that. The Lord doesn't want us to stay the same. He doesn't want us to stay. He loves us and he wants us to approach him just like we are. But if I'm real honest, just like we are, could use some work. 
right? So his heart is to bring us in just as we are. He accepts us. He wants us to come in, but he wants to give us everything that he has for us so that we can become who we're supposed to be, so we can become who we're meant to be. And so we need to be challenged by the Lord. We, we're not just devoted to the things we like, but also to the things that are challenging or difficult. And that means we've got to listen to him first. And we have to listen to him most. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus is talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think we get that messed up in our self-focused, me culture kind of thing. We go seeking after the things and hoping that if we have enough things, that we'll also find the kingdom. But he's saying, no, you need to adjust that. You need to flip that script. Seek first my kingdom, and then I'll bring all the things. Because if I'm honest, if you don't have his kingdom, all the things aren't going to satisfy, and they're not going to stick around. It's not just a message or a motto that, that, that we say, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, it's, it's a way of trusting God. It's a way of seeing his purposes and his plans uh, manifested in our lives, Right? Um, Jesus uh, described it to the disciples this way. Just before, he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. This is what he was saying to the disciples. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where the moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and also be enslaved to money or possessions, material possessions. So in this little passage here, it's, I mean, we could talk about that. We could do a series just on that for weeks. But he's sharing three really, really key things, all right? Number one, our devotion is measured by how we invest into heaven, not how we invest into earth. Our devotion is measured by where we place that treasure, and that treasure here, he mentions money. The treasure is also just the things that he has trusted you with, the gifts that you have, the talents you have, the life that you have. Just living and breathing and waking up in the morning is a treasure, right, HT? We were just talking about that this morning. Like, we, it's, it's good. It's good just to wake up in the morning, have breath, and be able to do something that God's asked you to do. I mean, that's a treasure. So invest that into heaven. Invest that into heaven. Um, and if I could quote really quickly, ah, some people are just not going to get this. But in 1987, some people aren't going to get this because they weren't born until 20 years later. But in 1987, uh, Belinda Carlisle released a song <laughs> called Heaven is a Place on Earth. 
And I just want to just, just bathe in the chorus here, right? So, ooh, baby. <laughs> Do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a... We're singing it, Chelsea. We got it. Ooh, I saw you singing. Heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. So we'll make heaven a place on earth. Heaven is a place on earth. Heaven is not just an eternal destination, right? Hopefully we get that, that we're not just waiting. This is not just our purgatory that we're doing time in before we can get to the good stuff. Heaven, yes, heaven is a place after this, this life, but heaven is here now. Heaven is here now on earth because we are we, we, we have the Holy Spirit moving and, and, and the Spirit of God is here and where he is, there's freedom. Where he is, that's heaven. Where he is, is heaven. So what we need to be doing, Jesus is teaching us here to, to devote our treasures to the things of heaven. Invest in the kingdom. Invest our time. Invest our money. Invest, in, in, invest our, our love. Invest our attention. In, invest our efforts into things, not just in, in eternal destination, but into the things that reveal God here on earth, right? One of the biggest things that reveals God on earth is relationship. Relationships are the only thing we take with us when, when we go. If you can find a way, like to take your car with you after you die, that's awesome. But I think what, what we've got is the connections that we have to one another. Those things will live on. But we invest so little time there sometimes. We get st stuck kind of in a, in, a, in a hamster wheel trying to gain other things at the expense of the things that we can actually take with us. Right? So Jesus is trying to refocus us, make your primary investments here on earth, relationships, are the only thing we get to take to that heaven destination. So that's why they're the primary investments that we need to make here. Another thing Jesus is teaching through that scripture is that our focus determines our devotion. Our focus determines our devotion. You're like, when you first learn to drive or you're riding a bike and they tell you, don't look off to the side of the road. Why? Because that's where you'll drive, right? If you want to drive in a straight line, you better look in a straight line, right? Otherwise, how are you going to know where you're going? The place that we look to, the thing that has our focus is the thing that we gravitate towards. And as one preacher uh, said several years back, if it's the thing that you behold, you need to remember what you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. That's why Hebrews 12.2 says that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because Jesus is teaching here that what we fixate on, what we, what we focus on, is what we become. And what I want to become more like is Jesus. So what I need to do is fix my eyes upon him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right? Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will be strange, will turn strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's good stuff. The third thing he's teaching is there can be only one master. He says, you can't serve two masters. Have you ever had a job where you have two bosses? That's fun. That's, that's awesome. And, and they like, they don't mean to, but they good cop, bad cop you all the time. Like, I said, do this. Okay, I'll do that. Another one comes in. Why are you doing that? 
That's ridiculous. Don't do that. You need to be doing this. And they have their own pet projects that they want you to work on. And there's only one of you. And there's two things that they want you to do. It, it divides you. And if you go far enough down that road, it divides your affection. You start to prefer one over the other, right? You can't serve two masters. You're, Jesus is telling us here, in matters of devotion, there can only be one master. And for disciples of Jesus, that master is him. We make all sorts of things our master. We, 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 can, we can take a, a boss or a relationship. Sometimes an unhealthy relationship becomes our master, and that determines like, how we live our lives. We, uh, it could be a sport. I'm looking at myself. It could be you know, our money, our possessions. For those of us who are followers of Christ and we've got a ministry, sometimes it can be the ministry. Sometimes the ministry becomes our master, and we stop asking God what he wants to do because we've got a thing that we know we've got to do, and we have our identity wrapped up in that. Even for, even for us in ministry, Jesus is saying, don't make the ministry your master. That'll come and go. Make me your master, and I will add all things unto you. Right? So we, we just need to make sure that in, in our devotion, Jesus' voice is the loudest one that we hear. Jesus' voice gets to call the shots, and he gets to speak loudest. Not the other stuff that we, get, that we start serving. Three more things here, real quick. Some measurements of our devotion to God. The first area we need to look at is, we, we talked about it just a moment ago, treasure. Our treasures, the things that God has placed in our lives that we can invest into other places, those are the greatest tests of our hearts. Those are the greatest tests of our hearts because we look at, we, we get some money or we get a job or we have a skill or we get, and we immediately think, well, that's mine. But for the disciple of Jesus and for Jesus himself, everything he had, that's, he's, that's not mine. That belongs to the Father. That belongs to him. When, when, when we get treasures stored up and we start to think of those as mine, it's a huge test of our heart when God says, okay, I'm leading you in a different direction. Now you got to let go of it. That tests our heart, and it lets, it, it's a real litmus test for us with who's really our master. Is it the thing that I do, the stuff that I have? Or if Jesus said, let go of it, would I, so that I could follow him? That's the real test. Nearly half of the parables that Jesus talked about were about material possessions. They were about money. They were about stuff that we have. And he was trying to get people to gain a more heavenly perspective about the things that we steward. So we're going to read here real quick, First, uh, First Timothy 6, 9, and 10. It's Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This scripture is about money. This message is not just money focused. We can get this way about anything. We can get this way about any stuff that we hold on to. We can get this way about any false identity that we've taken on, right? And so what Paul is saying here is not that, because it gets misquoted a lot, right? But you know, he's not saying money is the root of all evil. Having stuff is not evil. Loving it is. Loving it is. Letting that take the place of your devotion for the one who gave it to you. 
That is what is evil, right? And that's where we need to check our heart. That's what's destructive. That's what causes us, as the scripture says, to be pierced with many griefs, pierced with many griefs. And of course, there have been times when I thought, well, I don't have any money, so good, awesome. That's great. Uh, but <laughs> have you ever thought that? You're like, you hear that scripture and you think, well, I'd really like to be tested in that way, honestly. <laughs> That'd be, try me and test my heart, Lord. But I, I, can, I can handle a lot of, of that. Uh, but how, how we invest, how we spend, how we budget our, our resources, our time, our money, our talents, that, that tells a lot about our devotion to God. The second thing that we need to check our hearts about is that that's our time. Our time is limited. Our time is finite. Our time is a very valuable resource. So we need to check our hearts. How are we stewarding that? How are we investing that? Um, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, be very careful then how you live, not as, wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. One of the, uh, one of the things that we tend to do, it's a problem for a lot of us, is that we, uh, we fill up all of our schedules with stuff that we might not even need. And then we leave very little time for the stuff that God says we need most, right? We pack our schedules full of stuff that we think we need to do, things that we think we need to pursue, uh, things that we, we don't even necessarily want to do, but we think, oh, but I don't want to disappoint such and such or so-and-so or whatever. And there's a lot of things that... God never told us to do, right? God never instructed us to go and pursue this big thing or whatever, fill up our schedules with these things, but we have a hard time letting them go. And then we complain on a weekly basis, ah, I just really don't have time for spending with God. I really don't have time for prayer because I've got to do all these other things. And that's where we get back into Matthew 6, because there's no way to prioritize our devotion to Jesus without changing our schedule. If we're going to prioritize our devotion to Jesus, some things are going to have to get left undone. And most of those things probably don't need doing anyway. Matthew 6.33, once again, says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. If we put him first, he'll make sure that all the things that need to be in our lives get done. The principle of Sabbath is kind of, uh, an, an, it's kind of an example of this, right? In Exodus 34, 21, it says, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. They were told by God to rest, and it is an act of faith. I get it, being devoted to Jesus and trying to, because the world will tell us, well, if you, need, if you have seven days worth of work, you need to work seven days. But what God was telling them is, if you'll put me first, if you'll get on my schedule, if you get on my rhythms, I'll make sure that everything gets done, right? You can do more in faith in six days, giving him the seventh, than you can if you left him out of it and worked overtime all seven days. It's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. Um, so uh, the last thing, so we talked about your treasure, we talked about your time. The last thing is really important because it's something that we do all day long, and it's your talk, Everything's about the heart. What you say reveals what's in your heart. The types of confessions that you make. That's why worship is so important to me. Worship is, is this time of declarative prayer. It's a, it's a time when we can, 
we can declare out loud and sing it and actually make it fun. Like, this is, God, this is who you are. This is what I stand on. This is what I believe. And, and, and we, can, we can speak out the word of God. We can speak out the truth of who he is and what he does in us. And it's super amazing, amazing practice to get into. And it's, it's practice for us to begin to speak out and voice out the things that are actually going to be a benefit to us. It's a way of enthroning him and seeking him first. I love worship. And, and how wonderful it would be if all of our conversation could be in some way an act of worship, declaring the stuff that God says to be true, right? Rather than the stuff that we find ourselves talking about a lot. Uh, Luke 6, 43 through 45. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. If we consider that our speech is a measurement of our devotion, then it really gets us thinking about what things are actually worth saying. If your words carry power and spirit, and I believe that they do, then it adjusts how I think about, okay, is that worth saying? Is that worth declaring? Is that worth putting out there? Let's th- we're going to take a look really quickly at what Jesus found worth saying. John 12, 49 and 50. It says, the father who sent me told me what to say and what to teach. And I know that whatever he says to do will bring eternal life. So the things I say are exactly what the father told me to say. The things that I say are exactly what the Father told me to say. Um, If we can, in our devotion to Jesus, if we can make that our litmus test for the things that we allow to come out of our mouths, we'll see huge changes, not only in our lives and in our hearts, but in the atmosphere around us and the effect that God has on people. If we stop agreeing with negativity, if we stop agreeing with what the world declares to be true and instead just... Be who God made you to be. Say the things you know to be true. It makes a huge difference in our world. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, so it may benefit those who listen. And I love the easy-to-read version of Proverbs 18.21. It's such a cool verse. I love this because it's challenging to me. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can speak words that bring life or death, Those who love to talk must be ready to accept what it brings. Think about that. The tongue can produce life or death. If you love to talk, and clearly I do, if you love to talk, you got to be ready to accept what that brings. There's some responsibility there, right? So when we're talking about treasure and time and talk, our devotion is an expression of our convictions and our commitment is a great opportunity this morning to just recommit in some area. So as we worship, if you want to pray with somebody and agree with someone over any of these areas or anything that you have going on, there's no, there's nothing too big or too small that the Lord doesn't want to address it today if you're ready. 